singularity. My name is Nicola, aka Socrates, and you're watching Singularity One on One. If you guys enjoy the show, you can help me make it better by either writing a brief review on iTunes or simply making a donation. Today, my guest on the show for the second time will be Jerome C. Glenn. Jerome is co-founder and director of the Millennium Project. He is also known for inventing the futures wheel technique and among many other things is cited as an expert on future studies methodology. As a director of the Millennium Project, Glenn is also the primary author of their very well-known State of the Future report and editor of Futures Research Methodology from 1.0 to 3.0. So that was a long way of saying thanks for being with us, Jerome. I'm really happy you could do it again. It's my pleasure. Fantastic. So let me jump right into our discussion. And, and by the way, for our audience, I would say this is the second interview I'm doing with Jerome. And uh, in the first episode, we did uh, cover both the structure of, of his organization and some of the interesting details uh, surrounding his personal journey of getting to where he is today. So I would highly recommend to everyone to start by watching that episode if they haven't seen it uh, before, which I would link to. Uh, because today we're going to focus on the meat of the matter, on the, the most important issues. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, is the state of the world that we're living in, and more importantly, the direction that this world is moving towards and the state of the future report. So, Jerome, last time your message was one of optimism, and I really enjoyed it uh, because you said we are winning more than we are losing. Now, I mean, that clearly couldn't be... Uh -huh. But remember, that but that's by itself wouldn't be quite right. We're winning more than we're losing, comma, but where we're losing is very serious. Yes, you, you, did, you did say that yeah. last time, absolutely, okay. yes. So that was, of course, a, a, a way too short of a, of a sort of deliberate misquote, if you will, because I wanted to challenge you on this. I mean... Surely the world is coming to an end. I mean, look around us. Israel and Palestine, Ukraine, Syria, the Islamic State in Iraq. I mean, global warming, environmental catastrophes everywhere. I mean, could it even get any worse than that? And do we need a report to look at this uh, the way you guys do in order mm -hmm. to come up with the obvious conclusion that the world is coming to an end? All right, it's not an obvious conclusion the world's coming to an end. Why not? Uh, what, you've seen all those cartoons in the past where someone, some cartoons is, the world's coming to an end tomorrow, crossed off the next day, crossed off the next day. <laughs> I mean, the world's been coming to an end for a very long time. Uh, you may remember, you look at your old uh, pre-biblical stories, uh, and people would started religions based upon the idea that the world's coming to an end. Um, the trends are very clearly against that because we're here on a video conference costing you nothing. For worldwide access costing everybody else nothing. Uh, we are putting together the nervous system of, of the planet, clearly. And that is a fact. And all of the forecasts about how rapidly the Internet was going to grow were wrong. Uh, they all understated everything. I, I introduced 
uh, computer communications to the State Department in 1982, the USAID in 1981, to a lot of international organizations when people thought this stuff was, oh, we don't have to do it because we got fax machines, what do we need computer communications? And every forecast turned out to be understating what was happening. Now, the reason I stress all this is if you did not have your nervous system connected, all right, like we've got about a third of us connected at the moment, right? us meaning humanity. So if a third of your body was connected, how functional would you be? I would say not even a third functional, a lot right. less than a third functional. Right. Then if your body was starting to self-organize and actually get more of it connected up to 40%, 50%, 60%, what would, you, what would the prognosis be? The body's going to eventually work. Now, do you still get diseases? Do you still get uh, acne? Do you still get uh, all these sort of stuff along the way? Absolutely. But anybody doing a data search on the number of dead people per wars and conflict in the last hundred years, you'll see it's slowly going down for the last 20 or 30 years. But do those statistics... No, we've got an uptick. We've got an uptick on internal wars. But remember, the UN was created what for? To stop nation-state wars. How many nation-state wars were there last year? One. How many interstate wars? About eighteen. We we did not design a system to affect interstate wars, like we're dealing with the stuff in ISIS and Syria and all the stuff that you're going to tell me about. But still, and the refugees have caught up a little bit more in the last couple of years. But you take a look at the overall trend, the conflicts are going down. We are a more peaceful society. More people are being polite to more people today by far than ever before. Total strangers being polite and nice to them. Different tribes. Yes, you, you, you definitely. I had a look at, uh, at uh, this year's report. And of course, one of the notable uh, things that you say there is that war is generally on the decline. Now, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the methodology about that, uh, and in, especially about the statistics. Is that up to date with the latest uh, numbers of, of uh, both uh, casualties as well as refugees from the current conflicts that we're so concerned about? Syria, yeah. Iraq, right. uh, I don't know if the Palestine is... Yeah, it's, it, right now, it's a, it's a, we were using the previous year's data. Yeah. So this is 2014, so we're using up to 2013, the beginning of 2014. However, uh, one new development uh, we've started to work on since we spoke is the global future system. In the global future system, we have the state of the future and along with all of our other stuff and methods, and it's a vast system. But on the war and peace stuff, we can update that at any time right now. So, uh, some of the stuff in the global uh, futures intelligence system, the online collective intelligence system, is up to date, but not totally. As a matter of fact, uh, yes, yesterday uh, we brought in some new interns and we're going to be thinking about updating some of that, that stuff on there. Mm -hmm. So, do you expect that, that that claim that war is generally on the decline, and yes, you have a very specific definition meaning interstate war and not intrastate <laughs> Civil war, right. for example, doesn't right. fit within that definition. But right. looking specifically at the casualties and the refugee numbers, do you expect that would change because there would be sort of a large right. shift up right. of the numbers? Right. Okay. There's going to be an uptick, uh, uptick the last year and a half or so. That's true. Because just in Syria, people say we have 140,000 uh, dead people and, and maybe 
two million or more right. refugees. Right, right. That's what I said. You've got a recent uptick. That's a true statement. But is this the overall statement of humanity? No, it's not. No, it's not. It's just like we cannot judge you just by your left ear. <laughs> right? Humanity is a large system of humans, culture, technology, art, laws, internet, all that together. You can look at the whole thing. If we just, the reason I jump on this a little bit is if we just look at what's wrong, then we don't know what to, ha then we don't spend much time about developing what's right. Like, for example, how many of your viewers know that saltwater agriculture could become a, a very, very big deal in the future? No, because what we're hearing about is Syria. Now, we have to hear about Syria. It's like your nervous system is keeping track of the whole body. That's why we do this day in the future, so that, so that there's a system to give to the world. Says, Here's the whole view as best as we're able to put together the whole view. We're not looking at just the ears or just the kneecaps or just the eyeballs. We're looking at the whole body of the human being. And if we're going to make rational decisions about the future, we can't do it on just one part of it. If we're we just like we can't judge you by your left ear. Mm -hmm. You can't judge humanity just by Syria. So, so that's very good news uh, then with a very substantial comma that you very right. wisely right. did not forget to to include right. uh, and very important qualification there but 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 still overall kind of an optimistic uptake just like last time so let me ask you this then it's been over maybe two and a half years since we spoke last time mm -hmm. what has changed for those two years well one is what you've been pointing out uh, is uh, things like ISIS uh, things like Syria uh, things, uh, the, the interstate stuff. Uh, obviously, we've got the new stuff in Ebola coming up as well. We've been warning people about that sort of stuff for 18 years. Um, Sorry, you've been warning about what specifically? About infectious diseases getting out of control. Uh, the Ebola outbreak? Yeah, let me, let, let me pause on that uh, a little bit. Uh, the normal way that we handle diseases is you isolate people mm -hmm. and you sort of let, the, let it run its course if you don't have any cure. You could do contact tracing and all that sort of stuff, which should be done and is being done to some degree. But the social organization in Africa is is not that good to do that systematically, as you're seeing right now. And on top of it, you have real, the various animistic beliefs in the culture that will say it's caused by this and it, all kinds of wild views, which is not helping. Now, put that over to the side. Uh, then. What we have to do is we have to find out enough about the immune system, which we're learning a lot because of AIDS research. We're going to learn enough about the immune system to figure out how do you bring the immune system up so strong that no matter what the virus is or what the bacillus is or what the chemical agent, whatever it is, you're able to deter it long enough. Right? Now, imagine that like a fire extinguisher. And we put this like fire extinguishers. We don't know where the fire is going to break out. But we put the fire extinguishers all around the world so that Ebola or something else breaks out. You very quickly bring up the immune system around that area like a firewall, you know, the, you know, the fire, forest fire, and you contain it. The, I stress this because this is extremely important because the normal model of sequencing the gene, which is going fast, but sequencing the gene, figuring out the serum, putting the, the, the material together, mass producing it, putting it in containers, shipping it around, getting it to people, inoculating the people. It's gonna, it takes a long time. So think of that fire that's going across West Africa right now. Yeah. The normal model can't handle it. Right? So another model is this, what I would call a fire extinguisher model. 
Uh, so I just want to get that out. Anybody looking at, at, at future problems, this is a serious one. Uh, not only because of the, the natural uh, things of people being crushed together and more virus, into, you know, more people being pushed together, and with the animals as well, because a lot of these things are transfers from animals uh, as well, that's going to in likely increase in the future. So we have to have a different model of, of managing it. Yeah, I think the wasn't the Ebola virus uh, supposedly originating in fruit bats or something like that? Yeah, and most of the things we're getting now are zoo, whatever, zero diseases, animal diseases, yeah. And as, as humans keep encroaching into the natural environment, you're going to have more wild disease coming back into the human genome. Crossing over, yes. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, what, that's a big deal coming up. Yes. So, so you, you've mentioned that was one example that you've been warning about for the past 18 years or so, but what is something that you've missed then? That well, has happened and that you guys totally did not expect. There must be something, isn't it? There is. Well, your viewers will tell you. <laughs> They'll write in as I didn't even get this one. Um, well, let's see. What, what, what are big events? Uh, well, the, 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 the growth of the Islamist stuff, we had that years ago, very beginning. Uh, continuing organized crime, that's still going on. Uh, um, I'm trying to think what, what's happened uh, recently that we didn't get. Well, we did also, in one of our energy scenarios, we did talk about the increasing power of Russia in Iran about 10 years ago, which has come to pass. Um, we didn't get your, uh, okay, we didn't get uh, the Ukrainian situation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but we don't do particularly, but I want, this is a good one to bring up, because we don't do per se predictions. You know, we don't say Ukraine will be the next, although I did have, in one book, uh, Chernobyl going down ahead of time. That was in print. Ahead of time. The logic was the Russians are prejudiced against the Ukraine, so therefore they'll give them the least equipment, or the less, less engineers, blah, 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 so the first mistake will be Chernobyl. Anyway, that's beside the point. The main thing, though, is that we don't do predictions as such. We will refer to other people's predictions. We'll put them all together. But we're saying, here are th things that you should worry about. Here are things that you should do. So we're not saying what will be done, because, I mean, who knows? That's, that's not my department. But my department is to bring together the state and the future, the state of our future thinking. These are the things the educated person should know about the world. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I had two uh, sort of suggestions uh, that I was going to bring up about potentially two things that I think you may not have seen coming. One was Ukraine. Uh -huh. right. uh, yeah. the, <laughs> the other one was Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's a controversial one, uh, and um, uh, oh boy, well, there's so much to be said here. Where to begin? We did. We have referred to the idea of alternative currencies and economic, new economic systems. We did do a study in 2000 when 2008 happened, financial crisis. Uh, people said, "Hey, you know, you got to do, do a global study on this." And I said, no, 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 no. You've got thousands of people trying to fix the problem. We're not going to come up with something better than other people are doing. But what we can do is we can say, let's look at the elements of the next economic system. Right? Now, in my judgment, the next economic system will be more complex than we can understand today. Just like feudal England would not understand that we're having this conversation right now. There's just no way you could begin to explain it. Mm -hmm. right? So I suspect that the economic system will have concepts and terms that we don't understand right now. Uh, and furthermore, I don't, I'm not sure it's a good idea to design a system and then cram it down everybody's throats. 
that's been tried before. <laughs> so instead, uh, if you take the idea of emergence theory, you know, it emerges from this. Well, what are those little seeds of the present that you can see? And like, for example, one is like non-ownership. Like, who owns this airways we're using right now? You know, who owns this? this it, 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 it's, 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 so it's such a complex thing to actually answer. Who owns what? Well, you own your headset, you own your, your microphone, but you don't necessarily own the internet part. It's all this sort of stuff. Ownership is a weird thing coming up in the future. Communism says state ownership, capitalism is a private ownership, and the biggest force in the world today is non-ownership, the internet. Right? So that's an example of a seed. So we list a whole bunch of seeds. And alternative financial systems and alternative currency, yes, that's one of the seeds we did talk about. Now, we're not jumping up and down on the hobby horse of Bitcoins. One of the things that struck, struck us uh, recently is, is, as you know, organized crime is a giant thing that takes more money, uh, twice the amount of money than all the military budgets per year. Yes. It's giant. And this is one of the weak points in futures, by the way. They're not they're dealing with the environment, they're dealing with the economy, they're dealing with technology, not dealing with organized crime. In any case, it struck us a little while ago that Bitcoins and Tor, you know, Tor network, mm -hmm. so you take Tor network and take Bitcoins, this, of course, would be a perfect thing for organized crime, which means it is also a perfect trap. If you want, if you want a classic way of doing hunting is you put some food there for the animal and you wait for them to show up, right? Well, if you organize the idea of money laundering and, and, and communications that you can't follow and so forth, this could be a fabulous trap for organized crime. Because remember, there was somebody that did figure out some back doors in the system. Anything that can be understood, eventually, you can outthink. I think the the key here for me was that, uh, I mean, Bitcoin is not anonymous. That's that's one of the biggest misconceptions. I think it's pseudonymous, and as soon as you figure out one of the addresses, then you can build the network. It's like Facebook, right. and everybody right. has a copy of every single right. transaction ever made. So right. as you as soon as you figure out one of the nodes, then you start building the network, and you start having a history of all the the transactions that ever happened. So I think actually it's less useful for organized crime and money laundering than cash, than the US dollar. Because if you pay in cash, it's 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 basically untraceable. Uh, whereas uh, in Bitcoin, you can that's trace a lot it. Of, that's a lot of suitcases, man. <laughs> when you look at the amount of money that they've got, I mean, I mean you're looking at, Three trillion dollars, something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Three trillion or a little more. Yeah, yeah. That's you know, you can't just use that in bills. It's just too many bills. That's true. That's true. But like going to a grocery store with a ten thousand dollar bill is a little suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> but but the reason I bring Bitcoin is is not to bring let's say Bitcoin the currency, but to bring more light to Bitcoin the technology. Uh, which yeah. is to say, decentralized yeah. apps. Uh, I yeah. recently interviewed uh, Vitalik Buterin, who is the founder of Ethereum, uh, mm -hmm. recently won the Peter Thiel 20, up, 20 under 20 uh, fellowship, okay. and they just did a launch. And I think in something like three weeks, they've raised $15 million from crowdfunding. It's absolutely yeah. unbelievable. And it's still ongoing. So I'm sure they're going to raise maybe 20 or $30 million dollars 
and Ethereum is basically Bitcoin 2.0. It's not a currency, but it's a decentralized app platform without features where you can create anything you want, anything you need from contracts to voting to currencies uh, to, uh, uh, let's say, decentralized uh, Dropbox, uh, all kinds of things, right? And that, I think, is going to have a huge impact on the current state system. I agree. Right? Because yeah, yeah, if... Yeah, the, yeah, this is a good one to pause on. Um, a lot of change doesn't go from A to B. It goes A and B is on top of A. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much that the currency changes will replace the power of the state. It's that you're growing new power. You are more powerful today because of what you're doing on your show. Right? You're bringing together these minds around the world. You, it's invention and power. So your increasing power did not diminish somebody else's power necessarily. Mm -hmm. It might have, but not necessarily. Right? So a lot of these things are allowing the individual to invent their life with other individuals who want to invent their life together. And that capability uh, is growing, as you're pointing out. But that doesn't necessarily mean, it's like, for example, you still have religion, but it doesn't have the same power as a state. Mm -hmm. And then the state doesn't have the same power of multinational corporation growth. And that multinational cor corporation growth doesn't have the same as what you're doing as an individual. You're, you're inventing new kinds of power going beyond it. Yeah. What was yeah. Um, my, my major concern here is that Bitcoin, uh, and it, it doesn't need to replace the state power to be successful. Uh, right. It can kind of supplement it or, or just create new power players That's right. uh, in the world, which That's right. eventually would start chipping away at the state power uh, in a number of ways. And so maybe not in the short to the medium term, but in the longer term, maybe one to two mm -hmm. decades, I think uh, because of the state is based on taxation and uh, monetary policy is one of the major tools that the state has. With cryptocurrencies, I think that's kind of taken away. That major power is taken away from the state. And, and I'm concerned about the implications on the whole international state system. Mm -hmm. uh, so do, do you think that's a reasonable thing to look into for probably, I don't know, next year? Of course, no, of course it is. Of course it's a reasonable thing to look in. And as a matter of fact, uh, we just did a little exercise of our nodes. We've got 50 nodes around the world, as you know. Uh, we sent out a little questionnaire, a Delphi questionnaire, of, of 19 research topics. And then we sort of rated them and evaluated them, you know, went through a whole process and sort of distilled them down to like four or so. And uh, one of them is the whole idea of the future of anticipatory governance, which is all of that stuff, but the governance written large, the rules among human beings, how these are changing and so forth. And so we are, we, we will, we're right now in the process of doing a literature search and report search. What's the best ideas? What's known now so far? What are the best thoughts? What's been done? And what hasn't been done? What's the gap that we would try to address? Uh, and then we'll put this into a paper, page two page. Send it out to foundations and say, who wants to fund this? Mm -hmm. So, yes, we are. That's on our to-do list right now. Mm -hmm. Because I started as one of the biggest kind of skeptics as well as, if you will, ideologically opposed to cryptocurrencies. Because as a former political scientist and philosopher, I, I thought that the proper 
place where monetary policy ought to be conducted, whether it's been conducted in the best possible way, that's a, a, an entirely separate issue, but is the state. And now with this invention of Bitcoin, uh, the, not the currency, but the technology, uh, I, I think that, that Bitcoin will impact normal money just like email impacted on normal mail, slow snail mail. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a probably good example. Yeah, and also if you go back a few years, you may remember when frequent flyer miles were being invented. A lot of people said, should that be taxed? Because after all, uh, if I go from coach to first class, that's a, a better deal. There's, there's in a sense, there's a financial transaction, but it's invented uh, on top of it. it. You know, you can't go to a grocery store and use your frequent flyer miles to buy a loaf of bread. Ah. But you can give to other people miles, and they can give to you. So there is a little bit of transaction. And that was like an early example that uh, you know, didn't bring down the state. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a little, that's an early example of, of alternative currencies in sense. Yeah, that's actually a great example that I haven't thought of before. And actually, you can buy all kinds of things with air miles now too. Yes, you can. From that's right. So there is, there is an actual exchange. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Okay, let's move on here. So. Um, we talked about what has changed. We talked about what we missed or we didn't expect to change. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you, what's the biggest change that didn't happen? It, or was there any such thing? Something that yeah. you thought you would happen to, to, to yeah. change and well, didn't I, change? I would, I would go, yeah, I would go back. It wasn't so much the Millennium Project. I wrote a book years ago. The first book I ever wrote was on the future of space uh, back in the 70s. And... Uh, the space program did not evolve as rapidly as in the 70s we thought it would. Mm -hmm. um, there's a whole lot of reasons for that, but that would be one. Is a, a big disappointment was that people thought the purpose of landing a man on the moon was simply to beat the Russians, and therefore now it's all done, we go back to the Earth. <laughs> you don't have to worry about anything. Uh, as a matter of fact, it, it, in that vein of, of, of surprise, one that maybe your listeners would like to check out, all of us would check out, is, is the magnetic pole strength is reducing. Now, very quickly, people will say, yeah, it's normal. It goes down just before the, the poles switch. Mm -hmm. However, one science, there's research to show that, the, 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 yes, that happens, but the strength overall is slowly going down. If that slowly goes down, this is related to space now. If this slowly goes down, his estimate, the worst case estimate, was 500 years. The magnetic containment of the Earth would be sufficiently weakened that enough of the solar radiation would come through, and we're all toast. I mean, everybody, the cockroach too, <laughs> we're all toast. Which, would mean, if that's true, then that means we got 500. I say 50. I meant to say 500. 500 years. So that means we got 500 years to get out of the solar system, or at least get out of you know a new containment system. Uh, if this is something that, that, that like organized crime, something that people are not really jumping on yet, we should find out is this is this research real? Because mm -hmm. if it's real, we got to get serious about our space program. Because to me, the space program has always been really the solar system. You know, you, how do you know who you are as long as you stay in your mother's womb? Yeah. Right. We're we're in the sun's womb, so to speak. Now we're we're 100 percent dependent upon the sun. Yeah, I think it was Tsiolkovsky who said that uh, Earth is the cradle of humanity, but one cannot stay in the cradle forever. Absolutely correct. Yeah. That's right. And so you know, let's get out of town. Uh, and if the magnetic bubble uh, 
is forecast is real, then we should tell people the truth. Look, you got 500 years to get organized and get out of town. Mm-hmm. Stop this nonsense in Syria. We got some serious stuff to do. <laughs> well, let us come back to the sort of one, two, or, or up to maybe three decades from now, which is kind of the timeline that, that uh, your uh, uh, report uh, looks at. Uh, so mm-hmm. let us talk a little bit about the the fifteen global challenges that humanity is facing today. Would you Would you like to tell us a little bit more about that and and dive a little sure. deeper into the sort of the yeah. essence? Yeah, um, I'll tick them off real quickly, and then we come back to some strategies that cut across all of them. Sure, or a lot of them. The first one is uh, how can sustainable development work for all in the framework of climate change. Two, how can you have enough water, safe water, without conflict? Uh, three, how can resources, natural uh, population, natural resources, uh, be put into balance? How can uh, genuine democracy emerge uh, and be preserved, because we can go backwards as well, uh, for all people? Um, how can new decision-making systems be improved by improved global foresight so we have our long-range thinking integrated into our present tense? Mm-hmm. Uh, how can information communications technology be brought together for the benefit of all people? Uh, how can the income gap and development gaps be, be, be brought back into some sort of rational relationship that we have today? Uh, how can new diseases and immune microorganisms and new infectious diseases, how can that be brought, uh, brought, brought together better? Um, how can uh, we be educated and become intelligent and wise enough to address all of these challenges? Number nine is a new one, by the way, this, this year. Ten is uh, how can we apply what we're learning about war and peace to actually reduce the stuff that we were talking about at the beginning of the show? Mm-hmm. How can the eleven? How can the relationship of women to men in the society be improved such that we get benefit from a balanced uh, human relationship? Uh, Twelve, how can organized crime be brought under control in some way? Thirteen, how can we get clean and, uh, energy uh, for all people at a reasonable price without the uh, pollutions and dangers that we all know about? Uh, how can science and technology be better organized and improved for the benefit of all people? And fifteen, how can we get ethics into our system and decision-making better than we have today? So what are some things that can cut across all of those? One of them I'm going to be speaking about uh, next week. I'm going out to California. Oh, I'm going out to uh, Los Angeles uh, next week. Uh, there's a U.S.-China conference, and what I'll talk about is the idea of creating a 10-year goal, sort of like a land, a man, and the moon, Apollo-like 10-year goal, on environmental security uh, between the United States and China. Uh, now, why does that cut across everything? Well, obviously, in the Cold War, the only joint projects we really ever had was a little bit in Antarctica and a little bit in the Palo Soyuz. But we never had a joint global goal between Moscow and Washington, which would have been maybe a good thing to have done. Now, China has asked, the head of state has asked, he says he wants to build strategic trust between Chinese military and the United States military. Now, how are you going to do that? Now, I'm saying... Environmental security is how you're going to do it. It's the only way that I know of that can cause trust because we know that the water situation in China is a disaster. We know the air is a disaster. We, we know they're going through a lot of problems. So is the United States in some areas as well. California water situation. You know, 
We know that the world has got environmental serious problems, and it's going to affect the security. And you have environmental migrants, because we didn't even talk about talking about Syrian migrants. We haven't even talked much about environmental migrants that are coming up, which is a big potential problem. Anyway, so if we could actually say, look, the United States and China are the biggest polluters on the planet. They are also the biggest economies on the planet. So they have the moral responsibility to do it, and they have the financial resources to do it. So they should come together into an environmental security goal. You know, we can worry about what the details are. The other countries can join later on, but create like a NASA-like global program. How do we address all these things seriously? And why not? I mean, the, the kind of policies people are talking about the world are on a little tiny scale. It's not going to matter much. Plant a tree. Yes, plant a tree. Good luck. It's not going to change much. It's going to make you feel good. But it's not going to change history. So a little country in Montenegro, uh, I was talking at the other day, or a little while ago, and they said, well, like, what can we, a little tiny country, do on this whole thing? I said, you can go to the, you can go to the UN General Assembly, and you can introduce a resolution for a U.S.-China 10-year goal on environmental security. You can do that. And guess what? No one's going to vote against you. No one's going to vote against that. Right? So you got build, build the truck. Because how are you going to get the United States and China to do this? You know, you got to twist their arms somehow. I talked to the European Union, had the guy go to uh, the UN, and he wouldn't move on it. Uh, we're down at Dominican Republic, and, he, uh, and the president were meeting there, and he said, okay, we'll bring it up to ECOSOC, build up you know, different countries and sort of. So it's in process, and your, your viewers can get involved in this, you know, send a note to their congressmen or senators or around the world. We human beings need a sense of positive direction badly. Because as you pointed out in the beginning of your interview, the whole thing's going to hell. Well, one way to get rid of that is like, where's the heaven? If there's no heaven, you know, go like, give up. So we need a serious humanity long-range goal, and that should be environmental security. U.S. China should lead, and uh, that's what I'm going to be talking about. So that's one of the, one of the, one of them. Another one I, I mentioned just briefly uh, was uh, seawater agriculture. The coastlines of the world uh, are habited by, well, 150 miles from the coastline is half of humanity, by the way. Now, as this water goes up a little bit, you got salt water you know, integrating on the coastlines all around the world, underneath islands. It's a long-term, serious problem. Okay, so if you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> the idea of freshwater agriculture is threatened by all kinds of stuff. Uh, uh, the, the, the animal industry that grows, you know, that meets the food grow, that whole process has had actually more greenhouse gases, methanes, and so forth, actually, than cars. You won't know that. Anyway, and we got the problems with the water, we got the problems with the drought, and all that sort of stuff. So let's move along the coastline of the world where you can. A lot of people, are, you know, you don't go to Versailles and you don't go to Coney Island. So you, but you pick those areas around the world, there's, there's, there's tons of thousands and thousands and thousands of miles of coastlines that are baked, sand, clay, you know, nothing's grown there. It's, it's brownish stuff. So you cut channels into this, and then back channel like this, and more as you need to grow, and you grow algae, you grow shrimp, you know, the waste of shrimp can go into the algae, and you have a whole chain reaction, so you're producing food for humans, food for animals, algae, so you can do that. The algae they use for makeup, they're using for health stuff, they're using also for biofuel coming up. Feedstock, algae may be, by the way, the feedstock coming up for the meat without animals, by the way, coming up. That's another story. Um, 
And this can give economic development in areas that are poor because those poor areas of the world that's perfect for this is some of the poorest areas in the world. So they can be have income from energy, income from food, and paper. You need pulp. You know, you get some pulp going. You got to cut down trees for them. So as a result, this is a tremendously large growth area. This is going to affect the environment, going to affect water tables, going to affect population, going to affect rich poor gap, etc., 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 etc. So those are those are two uh, two big. Uh, third one I would say is we've got so much information flooding us every day. A wash. I mean, all of us are trying to keep track of everything. <laughs> you just, you just can't do it. Uh, so we need collective intelligence systems to better organize it. Uh, we've got a brain. How does the brain work? How does the interaction system work? And we're starting to, you know, the, the China has got a program on it. The European Union's got a program on it. President Obama announced one. We're slowly getting serious about how do we improve our knowledge systems to make us more intelligent. No country has made increasing intelligence a national objective of education. With a couple of year acceptance of Venezuela about 20 years ago, had it for a little while. But we should have increasing intelligence as a national objective of education. So we can say, okay, how do you make the brain more intelligent? How do you create information systems so we're not overrunning overload? How do we create collective intelligence systems for water, collective intelligence systems for governments? Government, I mean, every, every White House, every President should have their own collective intelligence system. And that becomes continuity, long-range strategy, continuity between one administration and another. Because right now, one government says everything the other one, other one does wrong. Well, that's dumb. You, you have to have a cumulative development of your thinking of your country. How do you build a country's brain? Yeah. So uh, that's another one that's, that's, that's a potential long-range uh, thing uh, coming up. Um, let, yeah, me ask you, let me ask you on one of the kind of less apparent ones, number 15. Now, I'm a philosopher, and, and actually, I quite often have to uh, kind of uh, go against the misperception that my blog is about technology. Uh, and I often tell people, you see, technology is just the context, but the, the actual topic of my blog is ethics. Uh, uh -huh. Because technology just gives us the tools, but what do we do with them right. then is the realm of ethics. So, right. so, so let me ask you this then. Number 15 on the list that you mentioned is global ethics. So tell us how that fit in the challenges. Because yeah. if, if you are a sort of hard scientist right. or an engineer, you would right. say, what is this kind of hanky-panky, kind of pie-in-the-sky right. ethics thing? I mean, we can't quantify it. We can't measure it. We can't do any tests on it. Like, how does it fit even there? Yeah, okay. We make choices every day. The scientist makes a choice about what to study. Scientist makes a choice about what to observe. The scientist makes a choice about what instrumentation to use for research. The scientist makes a choice to publish or not to publish things, often. Uh, scientists are making choices all the time. Um, most of the science, most of the um, dangers and quote unethical or bad science stuff has come from scientists themselves. They're the ones that said, hey, this is a problem. Right? So scientists should have ethics in the curriculum to say, because, because science is an epistemology in the house of philosophy. 
correct? Is one epistemology the most successful epistemology so far? But one. Art is another epistemology, a way of knowing truth. How do you know it's true? Someone says truth is beauty and all that's right. That's a what's a different epistemology. Science is just a way of knowing, not what the knowing is. It's a way of knowing. Now, how you pursue that way of knowing can be ethically and unethical. For example, uh, do I lie in a laboratory? That's not scientific. You know. Now, a good example uh, is how do I use, what's the ethical use of my brain? If I'm supposed to be so intelligent as a scientist, if I've got resources of NIH or whatever, what do I work on? Do I work on how do I make Ebola airborne? Or do I work on how do I do an immune system so that no matter what the Ebola is, I can handle it? That's a choice. That's a scientific choice. The scientists themselves can be ethical. Science itself, as you point out, is maybe unethical. It's an epistemology. It's not ethical. It's not true or false. It's just a way of knowing. But the scientist is, can be ethical or unethical. Now, how do we get that into the scientific curriculum? Well, it's, it's in there indirectly, but it's not overtly there. I don't know of a science course. Well, no, no, that's not wrong. That's not correct. I don't know of a, of a university that requires ethics as a course in a degree in science. Yeah, I don't know either. Probably is, and hopefully someone's going to write in and say, "Well, my university does that," and then we'll we'll, we'll underline you and salute you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but now another thing that is, is uh, as you may in the text there, I think I had it in, in in this year's text that the the very fact of the financial crisis shows how important ethics is to economics. Yes. We don't have ethics in business schools. I mean, it's it's been recently introduced in some business schools after the recession. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very clearly. Someone says, well, you know, as long as I it doesn't matter. Well, yes, it does. Yes, <laughs> it does matter. It does matter. It matters. As a matter of fact, we do the State of the Future Index, as you know, and for the last five years, the State of the Future Index really hasn't improved much. So you're saying... So we're not going, you know, downhill, but we're not going up as we were before, at least by that index. The last five years went sort of up and down. It's a little bit of an uptick in the last year, um, but that 2008 unethical con confidence was, was tremendous. Uh, one of the things I'd like to add on there, if I can, um, is there's something Americans don't know much about. It's called the International uh, Standards Organization, International Organization of Standards. That, you're talking about decentralization. It's, a, it's an organization that essentially is a process that any individual can say, what is the right way to do X? What's the right way to manage people? What's the right way to do water? What's the right way? Whatever. It, it, so there are thousands of these standards, and we're slowly evolving without the course, without necessarily the intervention of philosophers or theologians and so forth, slowly evolving a world ethical system. This is this is, this is one of those things that 50 years from now we'll look back and say, wow, wasn't that cool? We never said you'll be ethical and you'll be Israel. We as a people slowly evolved what's the right way to be. You know, all kinds of stuff. That's fascinating. Uh, so, I, I, and, I, and I'm, of course, entirely behind everything that you said about the importance of ethics. But let me move on to two uh, topics that I did not see 
very explicitly perhaps, and, and they certainly figure out in a number of those challenges that you've mentioned, but, uh, well, one is explicit, one not so much, but I want us to talk a little bit more, and that's the sort of the growing income gap, you have it as number seven, but also as, a, as an important factor of it is the so-called technological unemployment. Yeah. Let's talk about these two issues a little bit here, yeah. because yeah. I personally have very high concerns that the way we are progressing with automatization of everything, right. it seems to me more and more people would be capable of making ends meet, especially in right. the short to medium term. Maybe in the long term right. we'll resolve it, but in the short to medium right. term we're going to have an, inc an increase right. of technological unemployment. And I'm concerned that if that feeds into that growing gap between rich and poor, we are likely to experience revolutions, and then right. we can end to a, to a point where you have global revolutions that pretty much destroy right. all the progress that we have made so far. And I'm really worried about that. Should I be? Yes. Yes. Uh, and a matter of fact, on our hit parade of, of studies that we want to seek some funding for, that was the other major, major, another major one. And putting both together, what's the future of work, the whole nature of work, and um, the just income gap ethics, the whole the whole business. Yes, that's one thing. We're doing literature research on that as right now, and that's part of my homework after I say goodbye here. Um, it is gigantic. Uh, there are a lot of studies that we haven't finished reading them all yet. So we want to know what's the state of the whole thinking on this before we figure out what we're going to do. And um, for the, I think that your listeners are, are are pretty well educated on this, so that they don't have to be told that the rate of technological integration, convergence, and acceleration of that, and dissemination of that, and implementation of that is going so fast that a lot of other things are going to be automated away. That um, because before you had more of a linear development from the agricultural age to the industrial age, this is much more complex and much more rapid. So. When people say, "Well, the information age, you know, you got the computer got rid of the secretary, but it opened up more jobs than it lost." That's true, uh, but as you're pointing out, uh, the, the nature of this change is different. Um, I think we're going to have to do a lot of inventive thinking. Uh, 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 one thing that, and also not only inventive thinking, and that's one of the reasons we did that. Um, future economic elements, and part of that future economic elements was this idea that self-employment, self-creation of jobs, which was not easily possible before, because you had small markets, small numbers of people. But when your market is the entire world through internet, that changes the nature of what's possible for self-employment, which we've not come to grips with. We do not teach people that you are the center of a world market. Of billions of people, you know, how do you express yourself? Like you are doing this. You said I want to deal with the ethics and so forth, making sure you have all these people think these things. You want to do that, right? And you can make some income. So you can pay through your microphone and so forth. So you are a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Let's say somebody else says, "Well, I want to teach martial arts or something like that, and I want to do it on a video thing, and I want to." and have interactive video, and I want to teach people. Okay, so you can do that. Um, but, but not everybody, very quickly, will have that kind of courage to jump in. I recognize that. But that's some of it, and should be reinforced. 
There's another one that's going on in Europe. They just did a study on, on the apps economy. I don't know if you saw that. But it turned out to be billions of dollars. And the, and the, and the, the European Union guys, we had no idea it was so big. So then that European Union's got a website now. If you want to create your own apps, you know, you know, the Americans can do it too. You can go on there. They don't know you're British. And so we're starting to say, okay, how do we facilitate that? If that's a true statement, if that's one of the growth areas, how do we facilitate that? Just as we did in U.S. agriculture, they had the Agriculture Extension Service. So there was research was done very quickly, went to all the farmers across the United States very fast. We've got to do a similar sort of a thing like this all over again. What are new kinds of work? New kind, totally new kinds of work. Like your kind of work you're doing right now did not exist 30 years ago. Yeah, and, and I'm still, it's, it's been improving on the financial end of things steadily for the last five years since I started, but it's still not to the level where it, it would be sufficient on a uh, sort of consistent basis. It kind of fluctuates wildly on my end, but yeah. I, I love it too much to stop uh, and I'm kind of See? addicted to it. So I love what you just said there. I love it too much to stop. Now, we also have this idiotic idea at the moment of retiring at 65. Now, that financially can't work in most of the world. Yeah. You know, because you've got all these agreements on what you're paying out, you have all these agreements on medical services, you have all these medical, you know, all these safety nets and all that sort of stuff. Well, then you look at the mathematics, you can't do it. I think in Canada we increased that by two years. I think it's 67 now legally. Yeah, uh, but you can still get away with 65. In any case, it's you still get you got the options for that. Yeah. It's where you don't get taxed, I think, on, on, on the income from it. Yeah. In any case. Um, but if you look back at what was the life expectancy when the U.S. had its uh, Social Security stuff coming in. 48. Okay. So we made that same application today. You don't retire until you're what? In your 80s. So, 90s. Yeah. Right? Now, um, but, but if you're doing what you like, like you are, when you hit 65, why would you stop being yourself? Now, if you're working in a coal mine, that's different. <laughs> you may want to retire. But, but in the old days of coal mine, you didn't have a chance of creating your... You're inventing yourself. Quite honestly, for me to stop doing what I'm doing, one of two things has to, has to happen. Either I has to have to be incapacitated in one way or another to be unable to do it, let's say for medical or other reasons, or I have to find something that's so much better than it would make me uh, just drop this. And currently, I hope uh, currently I, I hope no, no accidents happen, so I don't have reason to drop it for medical reasons. And I haven't found anything better that I like more than this. So, well, well eventually you may have the contact lenses, charged couple of devices. We'll have multi simultaneous 3D reality, so you have many different shows going at the same time. You're switching between the different ones as you're walking down the street. People buy a subscription from you, <laughs> and maybe ten cents, ten cents a unit. And 10 cents a unit around the world with a couple billion people, you're not too bad. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, Jerome, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to talk to you again. Uh, unfortunately, time is advancing. We've been talking for about 55 minutes. So in the, okay. first, in the last uh, three or four minutes that we have left here, let me, let me ask you, uh, first of all, again, the standard question, where can people find more about you and your work? What's the best place? Uh, there's two places. Uh, we have two websites. One is like an organizational website, which is Millennium with two L's and two N's, hyphen project.org. 
That's the one from and, last time, yeah. Yeah. And then the working one, the collective intelligence one, people, that people subscribe to, but it's, it's, a, it's a very good deal because you get the book, you get the map, you get everything. Uh, that's a very good deal. Um, and that address is the MP, T H E MP, like the Modern Project, T H E M P dot org. So those would be the two sites to go look at and play around in. Yeah, and the second one is the new one, right? Since our yeah. last conversation, yeah, that's yeah. why I wanted to to bring that out. Okay, so we're here at the end again, and and again, I'm going to ask you for the most important thing that you'd like us to take from this conversation with you and you're not allowed to repeat what you said last time <laughs> um well i'm tempted to to quote bertram russell it says that uh, love works and hate doesn't or something like that <laughs> uh but on top of that what i'd add is we don't know the truth of the future we do know that if you think everything's going downhill you're not going to try to make it better. Now, you may not, it may not be, things may not be improving as, as rapidly as I would like, but they're not going to improve much more if people just say it's all going down here on don't try, because you're not going to try if you don't think it's possible. And we don't know enough to know what's true or false about the future anyway, so we might as well be pragmatic philosophers. Mm-hmm. And what works best? What works is idealism, but tempered by realism, but tempered by you know, pessimism. Listen to the pessimists. I'll tell you where you're wrong. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you where you're wrong. Listen to that. And then go beyond that. So that would be what I would say. Is, 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 is listen to the negative, but don't let it bury you. Um, and don't be Pollyanna either. <laughs> I, I love all those quotes again that you gave me. Last time you gave me three or four very good quotes. And I think this time we did at least as well as last time. So, uh, Jerome C. Glenn, thank you very much for being with us again. Thank you, and congratulations on what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah.